It's me again. It is. it is me again. It is me again. And if you're shocked and surprised, I'm just as shocked and surprised as well. Because last Sunday, I walked away feeling compelled. Like, I, I, I finished my sermon last week, and I finished it. Like, I finished it, and I was like, I just walked away feeling like, there's more to this. There's more to this. And feeling compelled that there's a round two to this conversation about anxiety. Remember, God wants to break, break you free from anxiety, right? And so God knew there was a round two, but I had to sit with it a little bit because sometimes, I got to be honest with you, if I feel compelled to preach, sometimes it's out of an insecurity or sometimes it's out of arrogance, Okay, Kirk, can you relate with this at all? Where I feel compelled to preach because I did such a great job. Oh man, that was awesome. They can't wait for round two. Oh my goodness, they are blessed to have me here. Oofta. That is, rarely would I be compelled based out of arrogance. It's more, honestly, it's more often that I'm compelled out of insecurity. Like, who I blew that one? Oh, I blew that one. And, and last Sunday, I'll be honest with you, I felt like I blew that one. And, uh, and, so, and so when I was walking away from the church being like, there's round two, Stephen, there's a round two, I was just like, no, there's not. No, there's not. And if I'm preaching, I hope it's not for the wrong reasons. And so honestly, I knew that there was a round two since last Sunday. In fact, since I turned the microphone off last Sunday, I knew there was a round two. But I had to sit with it all week going, why am I compelled to preach, right? Is it out of arrogance or is it out of insecurity? And I made Kirk sweat it out. I waited until Friday to finally text him and be like, hey, there's a round two. And he's like, oh, there is? And I didn't even know what the round two was when I texted him on on Friday. I just knew that there was a round two and God was putting the screws to me like, there's a round two. There's a round two, Stephen. And so here I am for round two. And if you don't know what you're about to get, neither do I, but it'll hopefully be good. No, no, it's been good. It's been good, you guys. So we are going to be spending some time in the book of Luke again. If you want to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 17 is where I'm going to start. And hey, good morning, you guys. And happy, happy Sunday once again. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being lovely. This is an interesting passage. And I guess if I were to give this sermon a title, I'd call it Back from the Brink. Back from the Brink. Anybody ever felt like they were on the brink of just collapse or disaster? Or maybe you're on the brink of something big. I felt like I was coming on to the brink of disaster and collapse in my life. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit here. But uh, uh, I subtitled this, Finding Freedom from the False Self. And I'll have to explain what that means. But let's read in Luke chapter 11. This is verses 14 through 17 that I'm going to read to you from my Bible. It says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But then some of them said, oh, it's by Beelzebub. Beelzebub, that's a, that's a, a fancy word for the devil, okay? Lord of the flies, okay? It's by Beelzebub. 
the prince of demons, that he is driving out demons. And others then tested him by asking for another sign from heaven, even though he had just delivered a guy from being mute, you know, but give us another sign, Jesus. Do some parlor tricks for us, right? And I love verse 17, but Jesus knew their thoughts. Isn't that a great word right there? Jesus knew their thoughts. And Jesus knows my thoughts. And Jesus knows your thoughts. And yet we still sometimes try to keep them hidden from him. It doesn't work. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. Lord, I thank you for this scripture this morning from Luke. I thank you for the challenging word that you've placed within inside my spirit, Lord. And Father, I pray that this morning as we reflect on scripture, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move and minister in this place in only the ways that you can. And so Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence, Lord. And we thank you that you are the hope of glory that we can cling to in any season of life. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you a quiz this morning. You ready for a quiz? It is called the false self quiz. It doesn't come from me. It comes from a man by the name of Pete Scazzaro, who I love listening to. He's the author of a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship emotionally healthy spirituality. He does a podcast and he's a guy that I've found myself listening to a lot in tough seasons of my life. And, uh, and I feel like, just to be honest, I feel like I'm coming off of really one of the toughest seasons of my life. And so I'm going to be super honest this morning it's going to be cringy and uncomfortable at times, but God is good, you guys. And so this false self quiz from Pete Scazzaro, I'll be honest with you, I failed it. So it's asking the question, how much of your life is dominated by the false self? And you're maybe sitting here going, well, Stephen, what is, what is that? What is the false self? Some, some old old, old, old writers used to call it our shadow side, the side of me that I try to keep hidden from you for fear that if you see that side, you're going to know the real me, okay? It's the fake you. It's the counterfeit you. It is the worldly you. See, Kirk's been talking about breaking free from patterns of the world, those ninja patterns of our lives, those sneaky patterns that we don't even know about that Paul writes about in Romans 12 too, when he challenges, be not conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we have fallen victim, but we've been complicit in that to a lot of these world patterns because the world has a mold for you. It wants you to fit into this mold that everybody else fits into. And media knows what it is. Advertisement knows what it is. Satan knows what it is. And all signs are trying to squish you into this mold. But Jesus has a calling for you. And so if I'm going to break out of this mold, I've got to embrace a new rhythm. And that is what this message hopefully is about. We're breaking free from the fake me, the false self, all right? So here's the false quiz. 
If you answer yes to any of these questions, fear not. I've been here. I am here. Okay. Question number one. This is a yes or no. I am reluctant to admit my weaknesses or my flaws to others. Gulp. Question number two. I look to the approval of others more than I should. Gulp. Question number three. I get offended or defensive when people criticize me or critique me. Oofta. Oofta. Question number four. I often become harsh or impatient when things move slowly or my expectations are unmet. Ouch. Question number five. I say yes when I would rather say no. Question number six, I beat myself up when I make mistakes. Question number seven, I have difficulty speaking up when I really disagree. Question number eight, I have a hard time forgiving others. The room's getting quiet. <laughs> Question number nine, my, my fears often cause me to play it safe. And question number 10, my body is more often in a state of tension than it is relaxed. And that's the false self quiz. And when I took that quiz, I answered, yep, 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 yep. And I knew that there was a problem. And oftentimes we know there's a problem, but we keep on blazing ahead. See, last Sunday I talked about being a non-anxious presence. It was about rejecting the world's pattern by embracing heaven's rhythm. See, we can't just break out of a pattern, right, Kirk? We can't just reject a pattern, right? You told us how our thoughts are linked to our feelings, right? And it's, it, it's, it's too easy to say, you just say, don't do that anymore, right? You can't just break out of a pattern. You, the way you break out of something is by breaking into something better, right? And so last Sunday's message about being a non-anxious presence was about being willing to embrace a rhythm from Jesus that is much better, right? The Jesus beat, right? Prayer, scripture, worship, fasting, Sabbath, silence and solitude. It's, it's doing those things, embracing that rhythm that helps me to break out of that mold that the world is trying to squeeze me in like a jello jiggler. I don't belong in that mold. I got to break free from it, right? And so I spent a lot of time talking about silence and solitude, right? It's this creating space of, for openness before God, inviting him and his thoughts in. And I should, I, I should have said this last week. I should have said this, I don't engage in silence and solitude without doing scripture and prayer first. And that is a, that's like a check valve for me. Because if I don't get scripture and prayer first, if I do so silence and solitude just off the cuff, chances are it's going to be my thoughts that I'm rehearsing and not his thoughts, right? And, and when I'm doing silence and solitude, I gotta pay attention. I gotta pay attention to where my mind is going and how my heart is responding, okay? Pete Scazzaro will say this. He says that our body is a major prophet. A lot of times we treat our bodies like minor prophets, like, ah, it just, just, it's just a little sore. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna move on, right? That hurt it a little bit, but then I'm just gonna move on. And we just try to move full speed ahead, Full speed ahead. Work, work, work. Do, do, do. Okay? Without taking the moment to be 
in his presence and realize, okay, there's things beneath the surface here that Holy Spirit, you got to do some work in me, okay? And it's going to be clunky at first. If you tried silence and solitude this week, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Realize it's going to be clunky at first, though. It is going to be clunky at first. It's going to feel more like what mental whack-a-mole at first. There's a bad thought. There's a bad thought. There's a bad thought, right? Right? And you're just trying to, to pound them out of there. But stay with it. Remember, any discipline, the first go, any discipline that you do the first go is going to be clunky at first. Stick with it. Eventually, it'll become a delight, something you like to do, and eventually, it will transform into a desire, something that you can't do without. In fact, this morning, I was writing my sermon stuff right up until 8 a.m., and I hadn't done silence and solitude yet, and I'm supposed to wake my kiddos up at 8 a.m., and I'm supposed to be in the shower at 8 a.m. I'm a systems guy, you guys. I am so on schedule. I am so on schedule. And I was like, nope, it's 8 a.m. I'm supposed to be climbing in the shower, supposed to be waking my babes up, but I'm going to go and sit on the couch, and I'm going to do me some silence and solitude because I know it's good for me. And if I don't do it, I need to. I need to. I feel it missing from my life when I don't do it, you guys. That's where it's at right now for me, okay? But here's the deal. You heard me preach last Sunday. I don't want you to think that Stephen Schiltz is some sort of non-anxious guru where everything is zen for me because it is not. It is not. This is confessions of a former non-anxious presence who at times becomes a non-anxious presence in spite of his sermons on being a non-anxious presence, right? Because for me, anxiety is always going to be just one stray thought away. Anxiety will always be just one stray thought away. And that's why Paul tells us to take how many thoughts captive? Every thought, take every thought captive in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Take every thought captive. It's what's, what I see this as being when I'm, when I'm choosing to be a non-anxious presence, it's choosing to be a thermostat in situations that really want me to be a thermometer, right? They, this, this situation really wants to get my blood going. It really wants to jack my heart rate up. It really wants to get me offended and anxious and angry. And it's choosing to be a thermostat and say, hold on, we're just going to set this to non-anxious and not let that thermostat or not let that thermometer spike. I'm going to be a thermostat in those situations. I want to be a thermometer and you do too because it's fun, but it's not fun to clean up the pieces afterwards, right? And so I choose to be a thermostat. And so let me tell you a little bit about my brink, right? Because that's what this message is about. This is my brink. And hopefully there's freedom in this for you because there's freedom for me in this. Okay, my brink was, brace yourself, Stephen. My dad's illness followed by his sudden death, 
followed by this windy derecho that blew the roof off my house and off my machine shed. It was working two part-time jobs where I wasn't saying no and I was only saying yes and I'd taken on full-time responsibilities in both of them. It was not having a Sabbath. It was working Monday through Friday in a school, working Saturdays on my house and in my machine shed, and it was working Sundays in a church. It was go, go, go. Speaking of go, 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 the church septic needed to be dug out, and the rain filled it in three times on me. <laughs> Glorious. It was 13 trees down in my yard alone, not to mention the 26 other trees that were down all around Rossell, South Dakota, that needed to be cut up. It was me freaking out on Shauna. Shauna, I love you. I'm so sorry for this. But I freaked out on Shauna over a chair in the youth room. Oofta, right? It was just, it was me being unhappy. And I had this conversation with Kirk with who I was spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically, you guys. It was failing the false self quiz. And so that was my brink. And I knew that if I was going to survive, something had to change. I needed to find a better rhythm and a better pattern from heaven that I could hold on to while it held me in those moments. And so the problem is a lot of times we are dealing with what are called divided houses and divided and double minds. That's what Luke chapter 11 verses 14 through 17 is all about. Okay, here's my question. What's the life expectancy of a double life? The life expectancy of a double life. I see Ray shaking his head. It's pretty short, isn't it, Ray? It is a short life expectancy, and we'd love to assume that the double life is a problem just for celebrity pastors or politicians. But the reality is we are living double lives. I better explain what I mean by that. Okay, What I mean by that is most of us are trying to maintain not just two lives, but the reality is a lot of times we're trying to maintain three lives. What are the three lives that we're trying to, to maintain? Who God says I am, who I think I am, and who I try to make others think I am. Those are the three lives often that we are trying to keep going, like spinning plates up above our heads. And it's only a matter of time before one or all fall. And that was my brink. I was maintaining three lives. Who, on one hand, who God says I am. On the other hand, who I think I am when I'm left to my own thoughts. And on the other hand, who I try to convince you that I am, even though I know that I'm not. And so I was trying to maintain three lives, or how I could act, ask it like this, how effective is double vision, right? How effective is double vision? But most of us are trying to maintain three visions, right? Double vision doesn't work, but a lot of times we're trying to function on triple vision. God's vision for my life, my vision for my life, or your vision for my life. How God sees me, how I see me, or how you see me. And it doesn't work. And we wonder why we are anxious and spinning like crazy clowns in a circus. 
And so this message is about breaking free from that by embracing a better vision or by embracing the true vision for my life and embracing the true the true life that Jesus has for me. And that's what Jesus is trying to hit at here in verse 17. Uh, any kingdom that's divided against itself is going to be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. I was on the brink. But it was because of me being complicit that got me to that place in the first place. Okay? And so James writes about it. He's a little bit more forceful in his language. James will say this in chapter 1, verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all he does. Turn to 1 Peter 5, 7 for me, please, if you would. 1 Peter 5, 7. Time to hot glue my Bible again as sections are falling out. 1997. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the he in that passage is Jesus. Peter is challenging us to take all the worry, all the anxiety that we have in ourselves and to place it on Jesus. But here's what's interesting. The word anxiety in this passage, and some of you have fancier Bibles than me, that word anxiety, the Greek definition, doesn't actually mean anxiety in its literal sense. The interesting thing about the definition for the Greek word that's used here is a part separated from a whole. A part separated from a whole. A fraction. A divided mind. A divided life. A divided heart. Where I'm chasing God on one hand, but I'm chasing my job on another hand. Or I'm, I'm chasing what my family thinks I should be. Or what my mom and dad think I should be. But this is who I really think I should be. But this is who I think God thinks I should be. But this is who I want you to believe I am. And it's this fracturing of ourselves that leads to this anxiety, this storm within us. It's interesting to me that this, the word anxiety here means dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. But figuratively, figuratively, the word here means anxiety. But it's this fractioning, this division inside of me. And what I think is interesting about that is the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. What, do you know what that means? Wholeness, completion. And so if I'm pursuing peace, I've got to get these fractures focused on one thing. That's what I've got to do. And so the problem is a lot of us are dealing with divided houses. Internally, we are divided. But we're trying to keep it together, folks. We're trying to keep it together because otherwise, how am I going to make you think who you think I think I should think you should think I should be, right? I don't even know what that meant. Okay? It just kind of happened. Okay? 
So if the problem is that I'm divided, if anxiety is division inside of me, the only solution that I can see is wholeness, you guys. That's the only solution that I can see in this. And so let's find that solution in scripture. Flip to Colossians for me. Chapter three, those of you that have been here on Wednesday nights, you know this passage well. We've read it so many times, that section just fell right out of my Bible. Turn to Colossians 3. Well, here it is. If you're missing it, I got it. I got it right here. I got it. Here's Paul's letter. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Here's the solution. Paul writes this. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts like a thermostat. Set it and forget it, Ron Popeil. Anybody? Nobody? Okay, never mind. But set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your mind on things above your heart and your mind, your heart and your mind, your heart and your mind because a lot of times we're struggling with being soul-driven. That is what Kirk talked about in his message on re, on. Uh, rewiring our brain. A lot of times we're being soul-driven instead of being spirit-led, right? It's, it's, it's setting my heart and my mind on things above and not on earthly things. For you died. That fractured you, the false you, the worldly you, the counterfeit you, it died. Let it be dead. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life, the real you, not the fake you, the real you, not the you that you want the world to think you are, or your coworkers, or your family. The real you is locked up and hidden inside of Christ. What I gather from this passage then is if I want to find out who I am, and if you want to find out who you are, we got to make a study of who he is and who he was. If I want to find out who I am, I've got to make a study of who Jesus was because now my life, which should be dead, the fractured me is dead, even though I try to bring it back on life support, I try to resuscitate it every once in a while, okay? And the old me wants to creep back alive and I got to kick it down again. I've got to realize that my new life is hidden in Christ. And so if I want to find out who I am and who you are, I've got to make a study of who he is and was. Finding me, think about it like this, finding me requires seeking him, you guys. Finding me requires seeking him. Seek first the kingdom and all else will be added because the problem is we fracture ourselves and we try to seek everything else, including him. It's not that we aren't seeking him, but we're seeking everything else and him. And he's trying to remind us, no, 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 it's just me. It's just me. Eyes here, eyes here, eyes on me. Eyes on me. It's right here. Eyes on me. This is what you're looking for, Stephen. Okay? It's finding me requires seeking him, or in other words, to find my purpose, 
or the meaning of my existence, which oftentimes we're questioning in these dark places within ourselves, to find my purpose or the meaning of my existence, I need to seek him. We can't find ourselves anymore by looking inwardly. All you're going to find is blood, guts, and nothing good. It's looking outwardly to Jesus who's going to repair inwardly what's going on inside of me, right? To find me, I need to seek him. And so, the, okay, so the, the problem is we've got divided minds. We've got fractured lives, Stephen, right? The solution is wholeness. Well, what's the process then, right? What's the process? Because I failed that false self quiz, failed it, and I am on the brink I've been there. The process is the Jesus beat. And what's so important about that is the Jesus beat is getting three parts. Josh reminded us last week that we are three parts. We are three parts. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. But the problem with those three parts is oftentimes they are chasing three different things. Your body wants what your body wants, your mind wants what your mind wants, and your, your spirit wants what it wants. And it's getting those three things synced up to one whole, Jesus. That's what the Jesus beat is about. It's getting those three parts that are chasing whatever it is that they want. It's getting them synced up. And how does that happen? Well, through prayer, through reading scripture, through fasting, telling your body, no, I know you're hungry. Deal with it. Worship. Sabbath, silence, and solitude. It's getting those three things synced up to one whole because if my goal is peace, I got to seek the only thing that can bring me peace, which is wholeness, fullness, completion, which can only be found in Christ. It is the only place you're going to find true peace. It's the only place you're going to try true fulfillment. It is in Christ. And so I wanted to pick at, last week I picked at silence and solitude. Today I want to pick at a little bit at Sabbath. Sabbath. Sabbath is probably one of those things where you think you know what it is, but you don't really know what it is. And so you're just going to just not really answer what you think it is anymore because maybe it's not what you really think it is, right? Again, I don't know what I just said there. So, yeah. So here's what Sabbath isn't. Because if you would have told me as a little kiddo, like, Stephen, you need more Sabbath in your life. I don't mean like, Psh, come on. Spend all day in church? What? No way. No way. Well, guess what? Sabbath is not spending all day in church. It's not. It really isn't. What Sabbath is in its simplest form, if I could dilute or take it down to that, it's resting from paid and un paid work. The things that you do for your boss, as well as the things that you do for your kids, as well as the things that you do for your spouse. It's resting from all sorts of work, paid or unpaid. And if you're sitting here thinking, Stephen's some Sabbath guru, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. It's about setting boundaries. That's what Sabbath is. It's about setting boundaries and creating margin and space for the Holy Spirit. I thought that's what silence and solitude is. That is part of silence and solitude. But Sabbath is more in terms of the schedule sense. Remember, I, I love to be, I'm a routine guy. 
I'm a systems guy. I got alarms for everything on my phone, not just silence and solitude, okay? I've got alarms for everything on my phone, okay? That's all my phone is for me. It's just a fancy clock or alarm clock. I don't use it for anything else really, okay? But it's about setting boundaries and creating margin. It's learning to say no to the things our minds and our false selves want us to say yes to. You free this weekend? I want to say no, but I'll say yes. You guys coming over today? I want to say no, but I'll say yes. It's learning to say no to the things that our minds and our false selves want us to say yes to. It's about creating a space to be present. To be present to the people that we love in our lives. And I wasn't Sabbathing when I was on my brink. I wasn't. I was go, 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 and do, 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 do. And it was a bunch of do, do, okay? And I didn't like it. And I was on the brink, you guys, okay? I'm sorry. I'm trying to be funny because I know this is a heavy message. I already lost you with the false self quiz, right? Like, oh my goodness, right? It's about creating space to be present with the people that we love. What does that mean in the practical sense? It's doing what we love and what they love with the people we love. Right, doing what we love and what they love with the people that we love. And so for me, today, I'm gonna take a nap with my bride. <laughs> because she loves it, she loves it. And that's how I Sabbath, folks. I'm gonna take a nap after church. Oh, I'm looking forward to it, you guys. I'm gonna watch some college football today. Jackrabbits beat the bison. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll take it. I can't clap for that. It's, it's watching Sam Tabor videos with my son, Colton. He's a YouTuber. Don't look him up. He's a weirdo. But anyway, <laughs> it's watching Sam Tabor videos with Colton. It's playing volleyball with my daughter, Maddie, in the yard. It's playing Super Smash Brothers Ultimate on the Nintendo Switch with my son, Elliot. It's doing what we love and what they love with the ones that we love. It's about seeking wholeness, you guys. That's what Sabbath is. It's about seeking wholeness and finding clarity from our distracted and divided lives, or for our distracted and divided lives, I should actually say. It's seeking wholeness and finding clarity for our distracted and divided lives. But here's the deal, I'm not some guru. I'm a work in progress. I'm an aim small, miss small kind of guy. So when I first started Sabbath, it honestly was just Sunday afternoons. And it was hard because that meant I couldn't go into the school and do work, which is what I did every Sunday for the last 17 years. That was hard. Every Sunday afternoon, I was either at Westside Elementary when I taught at Westside or I was at Russell Public Schools when I taught at Russell Public Schools. And it was learning to say no to those things. Again, it's not their fault. It was my fault. I was the one who was complicit in this. And so it started with just Saturday afternoon. And then around evening time, I would start doing some work again. Well, now it's morphed into Saturday afternoon and Sunday evening. Tonight, we have game night at 730. I believe it is uh, Maddie's pick or Elliot's pick. I can't remember. But we have game night with our whole family, with our kiddos. Okay, so it's Sunday afternoon and then it morphed into Sunday evening and then now it even includes Saturday morning because I work on Sundays. That's what I'm doing right here, right? 
And so it even includes Saturday morning now, which is really hard when the ground is frozen and the wood is calling me. Come cut me, Stephen. Come cut me. And I'm going, nope, 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 nope. And it is so hard, you guys, because my mind wants me to be reminded of everything that I'm not doing instead of allowing me to be focused on the things that I am doing by being with my wife, by being with my kids, by being the one who God has called me to be. And it is so hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth doing because it is good. And oh my goodness, it is necessary for me. Flip to Psalm 127. I'm going to leave you with this. Flip to Psalm 127. Verse 1 and 2. I always feel like Psalm 127 verse 1 gets all the credit. And we just kind of skim over verse 2. But David's writing about Sabbath, even though he doesn't necessarily know that he's writing about Sabbath. And Sabbath is so important, you guys. And, and you might be sitting here going, Sabbath, isn't that one of those old Levitical code things, Stephen? Isn't that the law? Isn't that one of the things that we're supposed to be free from? Isn't it interesting how when we, in our effort to exercise our freedom, right? We're trying to exercise our freedom from Sabbath, right? From this old Levitical or traditional code that we somehow unwittingly have enslaved ourselves to a pattern that our lives are not meant to maintain, I don't know, that's just a thought that I've had. And so Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, David writes this. He said, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Meaning, you're doing a lot of things without me, folks. It's time to let me do some things within you. That's what verse one is, in, is about. But take a look at verse two. In vain, you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But then look at that last little tag there. For he, talking about God, grants sleep or rest to those he loves. Who does God love? You, Kirk did such a good job reminding us of that this morning. He loves you. He loves you. And he's got rest for you. And so what I hear Jesus telling me in this passage, Stephen, come back from the brink. Seek me. Find rest. Be whole. And that's the word for you. Come back from the brink. Seek me. Find rest. Be whole. So Jesus, we thank you for rest that only you can provide for us. Lord, we thank you that you are calling to our hearts here right now in this moment to be whole to reject our false selves, the counterfeit uses, the, the fractured uh, me. That you are calling us back from the brink 
where we've tried to labor and toil and keep three visions and three lives going for the sake of posterity. And Jesus, we ask that you would help us in this moment to reject the mold the world has tried to push us into and to embrace the calling and the rhythm that you have waiting for us through this gift of Sabbath. We love you, Jesus. Give us guidance. Give us direction and give us grace to be with you, to be present with you and those around us whom we love. And Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this body of believers, Father. And I pray as they are trying out Sabbath this week, if they choose to, Lord, that you would be there guiding them and leading them all the way. We love you, Jesus. Amen.